Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Yeah, that sounds like the Shanolis, but I don't think it is. Uh, all right, so uh, I'm disturbed and disappointed to tell you that Cajon Wolf went home uh, sick with a cold today. So, oh, no. <laughs> I know. The good news was I didn't have to write an introduction, which freed up a lot of time in my day, which I did not use constructively. The bad news is we have nothing cool for our introduction today. So, so sorry about that. We have a very cool panel. They will more than make up for it. I promise you. I promise you. Uh, so, uh, Professor of History from Connecticut College. Uh, I already did it wrong. From Central Connecticut University. <laughs> so, from Central Connecticut State University. Uh, and a member of the Board of the Connecticut Humanities Council. And the king of Halloween. I mean, he really is the king of Halloween. Uh, Matthew Warshower uh, joins us today. Jim Chaplin, who's the king of guitars, the Les Paul Endowed Chair of Guitar Heroism uh, and many other things as well. Jim Chaplin with us. Uh, and the queen of the night uh, and all that is bad and evil <laughs> and scary. Did you just call me a prostitute? No. That comes later. That's in the A segment. Yeah, She's that's during that the A segment. That's during the cat calls. That's the cat call segment. Teresa Kramer joins us. She is one of the founders of The Cut, uh, an online magazine for the rapidly aging, formerly young adults of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and we welcome your phone calls too. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to talk about in the beginning segment. We are going to talk about something you probably couldn't have avoided this week. Uh, it's the story of the 108 cat, fa- cat calls in 10 hours. Uh, we'll tell you all about it, uh, but you already know about it. Uh, in uh, our second segment, we're going we're gonna, to, since we have the king of Halloween, I guess maybe at that point we'll explain why Matt is the king of Halloween. Uh, with us, we'll talk about the Halloween crisis in Newington, uh, where, in fact, the school system decided, yeah, maybe we'll just pull the, uh, the plug on parties and parades during the school day. And it turned into a national culture war story. And if we have time, uh, an interesting article, at least I thought it was interesting, uh, uh, by Eric Asimov in the New York Times. He's a wine columnist, but he's looking about sort of the way wine is used on television specifically on shows like The Good Wife and Scandal, where the protagonists seem to console themselves or do something anyway at the end of their long, difficult scandal uh, and intrigue-filled days with a big uh, goblet of red wine. What does it mean? What's the symbolism? All right. So, uh, but let's begin with the 108 catcalls. Shoshana Roberts uh, did decide to undertake this experiment. It was last August, actually, that she did it. Uh, She put on a crew neck T-shirt and jeans Walked around the streets of New York for uh, 10 hours. She was harassed 108 times, and that's only the verbal harassment. That's the only, only the harassment that had words. The 108 does not count uh, people who whistled or made uh, strange gurgling noises or God knows what other noises they made. Uh, so, And, you know, it, yeah, it was everything from hey, beautiful to damn to people telling her, men telling her in a rather aggressive way that they should, she should be more grateful uh, for the kinds of attention she was getting. One guy did walk right alongside her. After verbally approaching her, he walked right alongside her silently for five minutes. That was a little creepy. The whole idea was to capture this. Uh, a videographer from a group called Hollaback, an anti-street harassment advocacy group, 
uh, did this, edited d- d- down to two minutes so that you could see those two minutes have been watched by 22.4 million people. Uh, there are some uh, questions, which we'll get into also, about the way in which race is depicted uh, on this. But So, Teresa Kramer, this is familiar ground. We talked about this one time before. I think yeah. you were a panelist that day. I, th- I am the official uh, cat call uh, panelist. You're, yeah. the, you're the cat call woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... So, uh, you know, this isn't all that different from stuff that we've talked about before, but it, mm. somehow or other it became the national conversation this week. Can you figure out what particular tripwire this kicked that, that made it different, that got everybody talking about it? Well, I think, the, I, I think the video in and of itself, you know, it's easy for women to say that this happens to them. But like Jim pointed out on the way up that he was like, I didn't know it happened this much. And, you know, when he asked his wife, she was like, oh, yeah, of course it does. But men don't see it because it does doesn't happen to them. So now this is just or like because they don't do it. Or yes, yes. I like to point that out. Right. But the, I was actually thinking about that as I was watching. I rewatched the video this morning cuz I had watched it actually before we even started talking about it. I saw it and um so I was rewatching it this morning and there's a point where one guy's sort of following her, not the guy who follows her for 5 minutes, but the there's another guy and he just keeps talking to her like mm. why won't you talk to me? Why won't you talk to me? And there are other men in very close proximity at times and no one ever says anything. It's a cue. Yeah. There's a line. Yeah. Yeah, they're all just waiting to harass her for their turn. Um but but yeah, I think just the this sort of over the top, because even I was like, really, a hundred and ten. By the end of the day, you got to be looking ragged. No one's talking anymore, <laughs> right? right? Like, you know, ten but hours that, walking around. That's a ten-hour day. Yeah. She put in a full day. I don't even that. know how she did that because that seems. Uh, I w- I think I would have just keeled over and died after about seven hours of walking around Manhattan in August. Well, I mean, but first of all, uh, did you watch this video? 860-275-7266. Matt Warshower, are college campuses any better as uh, Central Connecticut State University? Can a young lady walk across the campus without, I mean, I'm sure you're not wolf whistling at her, but I mean, how about her uh, contemporaries? Well, first I want to say that, damn, Teresa, you look fine. (laughs) She does. Uh, You know, we don't have that sort of a problem on campus. And, you know, I think that one of the things that is generating this more so now than ever before is that it does, in fact, come in the wake of all these college campus issues with sexual assault. Uh, I know CCSU right now is we're in the midst of what we refer to as our red flag campaign, where red flags go up and people are wearing red bands all over the place. And it's about uh, real safe relationships and that if you know somebody who is in uh, an aggressive relationship or an unhealthy relationship that good friends really do say something. So I think, you know, I've been a little bit surprised at the the reaction by the government and many campus leaders to this idea that one in four or one in five uh, women are sexually assaulted at some point in their lives by the time they get to college because that's that statistic that number has been around for 25 years I mean when I was in graduate school one of the things I did to work my way through is uh, I taught uh, self-defense and martial arts and I did a 40-hour training course at a women's self-help center and all of this stuff was out there it's been out there for years I think it's just a matter of people paying attention to it more now 
One of my theories that's completely unproven and which I'm happy to have shot down and, and Jim can go first in shooting it down. I mean, one of the things I wonder about is whether this kind of thing, the, back to the, the cat calls and the wolf whistles. And first of all, if you walk around Hartford, it's not going to happen to you as much because we don't have any construction projects. Uh, but uh, I'm sure there will be some very soon. Uh, but, I mean, if you walk around New York, uh, you know, and I think it is significant. That if, in a big, dense city where there's a lot of this kind of stuff, it happens. And it apparently happens other places as well because— I was here that day. Yeah. I was here on that panel, too. I you think. were on that no, panel, too, yeah. yeah. It's all coming back to you. Right? That was my birthday yeah. panel. I yeah, right. Right. You're, insisted we you're having about. a moment of deja vu. It could yeah, be the right. paint— What happened to you while you were yeah. walking it by could, the busway? It could be the paint fumes. By the busway But I sort of wonder whether it's getting worse or whether it was always that way. And— and, and one of the reasons I'm interested in that is, I, I, you know, even in Matt's comments, you sort of hear that there's a culture that's trying to grow on college campuses to address this. And, and in fact, male, you know, we've all read Hannah Rosen's The End of Men, you know, this whole notion that young men are less employable than women, that, that male dominance is probably in its twilight years. Not that it's completely gone, but it's, it's, it, it's sunsetting slowly. And you sort of wonder in situations like that uh, if, you know, this the, the, the catcalling and the wolf, wolf whistles are really the last gasp. Dying of, of gasp. <laughs> Well, before I before I even comment, I'd like to say that, damn, both you and Matt look fine. <laughs> Thank you. You know, um, I, you know, I I don't know. First, didn't they edit like all the white people out because they were saying stuff like "nice sweater" or? <laughs> I like your cable. Well, it's yeah. like, I mean, they certainly <laughs> right. they they were they were criticized. Do for you taking get a, Netflix? Yeah, <laughs> it was the first thing I noticed. Right, is the yeah. lack of of white males. Right, uh, is that are they implying that white males are less? Guilty of this? Well, and, and they, this, they, they were asked about this. Hannah Rosen and, and others, speaking of Hannah Rosen, wrote about this uh, in response to that criticism. Because when you watch the video, it is almost entirely men of color who are doing this. Uh, Rob Bliss, creator of the marketing agency behind the clip, said, we got a fair amount of white guys, but for whatever reason, a lot of what they said was in passing. I'm not quite sure how that differs from It has to be in passing. Yeah. She's uh, walking. But for whatever reason, a lot of what they said was in passing or off camera. So their scenes were a lot shorter, but the numbers themselves are relatively even. Uh, also, we so why not put them in? Yeah, we didn't always capture the audio or video well. There's a siren that kills the scene or, or someone walks in front of the camera. So we had to work mm. with what we had. Cities are noisy and full of people that walk in front of the camera. You know, blah, 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 by chance. This is how it worked out. Uh, Hannah Rosen writes back, if you find yourself editing out all the catcalling white guys, maybe you should try another take. Right, right. That's, you know, that seemed a little weird. So this seemed like a little bit of a set piece to me. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of set pieces, I liked Jessica Williams's Mm -hmm. set piece on The Daily Show much, much better. It was it was better done. It was funny. And it was actually more pointed, I think. There, there's yeah, a lot, but it was meant to be yeah. a joke, though, and that's the Well, it, it was meant to be a, a well, joke with a point. A very just, uh, yeah, just it was a be, very specific joke. For people who haven't seen the, uh, the piece, and we'll, we have a little bit that we can play for you, uh, Jessica Williams talked about this. She talked, about, she talked sarcastically about how lucky she is that, uh, that when she walks to work, she gets all these compliments. Uh, she plays some clips of Fox commentators talking it's, um, uh, about how men are the ones who are really jeopardized these days because as Britt Hume points out, in this feminized atmosphere, this feminized at- atmosphere, anything that you say can be misinterpreted and you can be punished for it. So uh, let's hear uh, a-, a little bit of this is Jessica Williams, I think, explaining how easy it is really to avoid all those wolf whistles. 
And if I don't want people talking to me when I walk to work, all I have to do is go four blocks north to avoid teenagers hanging out at the bodega, three blocks west to get around those creepy old guys playing dominoes, oh, and avoid Wall Street douches, white guys, Latino guys, black guys, Middle Eastern guys, really any men. And it only takes 55 minutes to get to work. And look at how much exercise I get. Hold on, hold on. Is that guy staring at my ass? It's a terrific video, and she then assembles. She, yeah, she then assembles this group. She says she was able to find a few women who actually surprisingly did object to this phenomenon. And then the camera kind of pulls back, and you see this just enormous room full of really angry-looking women. And then I think some kind of riser yeah, comes up, descends, yeah, yeah. With, with with extra women on it, or yeah, I guess it descends with extra women on it. And 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 they sort of confirm everything that is being suggested, Teresa, including this notion. And I'd never thought about this before that women in New York actually plan their routes so as to avoid some of this stuff. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, if you have a regular walking regular walking path and you know that like if you just go one block over and you don't have to walk by the bodega guys as she was saying. And it's not just, you know, it's not just planning your route differently you know there are women who they get a gym membership because they don't feel safe running you know by themselves on the roads or streets somewhere and it 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 actually goes much deeper than just than just walking a block to the left this probably is less likely to happen it, around here because mm-hmm. we sort of know our neighbors. We sort of well, – or, actually, or I, somebody I, is going to know – I can't I, imagine. I, actually, Lisa, who's on the phone right now, might beg to differ oh, with you. Oh, here, here's, Lisa. A, here's Lisa from Hartford. Hi, you're on the air. There are a whole lot of things I can say that I disagree with. It happens – I can um, be driving in my car and even now like I'm like old and God forbid I stop at a stop sign or, or a light, or a traffic light. Walking down the street, skating down the street, anything you can—it doesn't matter. I was, uh, you know, I travel a lot, so let's say I go to Washington and I'm like, um, or anywhere, and I'm with a, a large um, sample of, of different men in the population. You know, businessmen, um, politicians, uh, people coming from embassies—they all do it. Mm-hmm. It happens. It doesn't surprise me about politicians. (laughs) (laughs) So they do what you're saying, kind of irrespective of race, class, economic uh, situation. It's just it's not just construction workers. You're saying it's everybody. I grew up in Meriden. Okay, it's not just construction workers. I grew up in Meriden. So was it people you knew or people you you? Was it anonymous people? People you know and strangers. Yeah. In Meriden, in in particular, people making steamed cheeseburgers. Right. uh, In Meriden, are the people who (laughs) can't call you? No, those guys are cool. Oh, they're all right. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Th- yeah, thanks for your call. Although, Lisa, just one last thing. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it sounds from your tone of voice like this is not something that you're acclimated to, that you're comfortable with, that you feel complimented by, or, or anything like that. No, like it's like recently someone just told me, you know, I like you. Like you like me. I, you just We just bumped into each other at the park. Well, we played basketball. You like me? And, I'm, and my response is, ugh. 
active. <laughs> that that might be a good response to deflect some of this, right? Uh, do you have like yes, techniques and tools that you use to to avoid it? Up on yeah, but most of the times they don't work. I I use headphones. I turn the music on in my car. I turn on talk radio. Roll up my windows. Um, I I I can be skating really fast on the street, skateboard um, or inline skates. And so my name is actually Skateboard, and someone will call me this morning. I was going to um, volunteer uh, at a, um, a homeless shelter, and some guy just walked up to my car and, you know, by the window and just started talking to me. Um, and his question is, was, you know, I've, I, I'm sorry, I should tell you, I know him, but I don't really know him. He calls me Skateboard. His question to me was, Am I? Did it change my mind? Am I going to be his girlfriend? I'm like, ugh. That's, <laughs> like, what's, what? Why? I mean, it's not. It sounds it's like not you a say uh, a lot. Yeah, you know. Lisa, not a compliment. Lisa, thanks so much for your call. I would, if you haven't okay. seen the Jessica Williams video yet, you really got to watch it. One of the things that she and the other women in this video do at the end is they illustrate their what they call their bitch faces, uh, which is the uh, facial expression that you that you direct at this person. Instead of going, Ugh, you just look at him with your bitch face. And if you don't know how to do it, uh, we're going to get a picture of Betsy Kaplan's uh, bitch face up on the website t- because Kion's off today. We, we can't do it. But we'll, we'll make it available for a pledge of $4.99 or more. I just had what I think might be an amazing insight, a, a confluence of two major news stories, and, and that is one, the cat calls, and number two is Ebola. Mm. I mean, maybe we can, maybe we can market a, a quick Ebola face paint kit, mm-hmm. and before the women go out, they can, you know, mock themselves up. Or just some, a little bit of discharge. It might even be better than face. the bitch face, Colin. Um, so something, something that screams out, I have Ebola, I may <laughs> or may not. Some of these guys may be so desperate that that's not a deal breaker. Well, this, um, they don't have to worry about the CDC the, getting there. The guy, the guy who pulls up next to her skateboard and says, right. have you changed your mind? Will you be my girlfriend? I don't think... Uh, I got that Ebola is going to necessarily make him go away. (laughs) I was kind of trying to figure out the difference between street harassment and someone genuinely like hitting on you, right? Like someone who actually is like, oh, I think you're pretty and I want to ask you out on a date. Did you figure it out? Uh, You know, I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) I don't know that I figured it out totally, but I think so. I think there's intention, right? So there's like. It, most of the time, if some guy, you know, a construction worker's cat calling you, if you actually walked up to him and were like, okay, let's go, he'd be like, oh, I'm married and I have, like, three kids. Like, mm-hmm. he, he has absolutely no intention of ever talking to you other so just, than that's to That's just a spontaneous uh, uh, sort of a Tourette yeah. construction yes. <laughs> worker thing. <laughs> I yes. do think it's sort of a thing. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. It's, it, it is. I, I think that if you were to sort of get them to talk about it a little bit, they would express it as their version of joie de vivre. Mm-hmm. They don't see it as assaultive. They don't get that. Mm-hmm. No amount of talking to them will ever make them get that. Unless it's done to their daughter, their girlfriend, right. their wife, well, right? And some, of the, and some of the guys, you know, they're not saying anything all that offensive, right? They're just mm-hmm. saying like, hey, how you doing today? Or well, like, but there's you also... have a nice day. But you're like, why are you talking to me yeah. out of all these other people? You're not wishing them a happy day. But there's also a different <laughs> element to it. So mm-hmm. you talked about whether they're just, you know, making their moves or mm-hmm. whether they're uh, genuinely interested, but what also? What about it is also their intonation and their general body language, mm-hmm. where they you might look at somebody, I might see you and go, "Oh, hi, how are you today?" Mm-hmm. Right, and right. that's completely different. Or even look at someone and say, "Oh, you look really nice today." Mm-hmm. 
but not have that sort of creepy air to it. Yes. I think for some of the, some of them, it is kind of a Hail Mary. And if you look at the um, at that video, the 108 Cat Call video, some of those guys, I think, are – this is their version. Well, one would th- If that's true, oh, then one would think that there has to be at some point in that behavior a payoff, right? Well, yeah. That it, some yes. woman at yes. some point said, yes. you know what? Thank you. Let's, let's go to my well, place. Well, it's a very juvenile way. So, right, like when you're like 13, you might actually be like, oh, what? Right? He I don't think you would ever, when you're 13, you're so afraid of girls that you would never, ever. No, 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 no. But it, because, right, if you're a girl at 13, this is happening to you. Oh, and I it see. might be a 16 year old guy, right? And you're like, ooh, the 16 year old guy likes me. And then it's after like a couple years of this, or where, and you may respond to that because you're at the mall. You're all at the mall. Has anyone met you. a significant other? Through the cat call. I, Have you I, I call, cat call? Did you cat call your wife? Please uh, call in. My, my <laughs> wife, no kidding, no kidding at all. My wife actually claims that I was stalking her. Yeah. So I, I, I just want to throw you? that out there. <laughs> no, I was not. It's certainly a claim we, that you're able to either prove or disprove. No, right no, with, we actually entered uh, six months after we married. Mm-hmm. We There was a, a local radio station where we were living in St. Mm-hmm. Louis that ran this contest where they said, write in and discuss how you met or how you got engaged. Mm-hmm. And she wrote in, and we were one of the 98 couples that won. <laughs> And we renewed our vows on the air. It was really funny. Well, I, I do want to just quickly recall the immortal words of one of my uh, cultural heroes, Louis De Palma, uh, the character played by Dan, Danny DeVito mm-hmm. on Taxi. And so it, it, Louis looked exactly like Danny DeVito, and he was a total creep on the show. And he was advising a young cab driver about this very topic. And he said that when he was driving, he said, when I was driving, if a good-looking woman got into my car, I would say, would you like to go back to my place and have sex? <laughs> and, and the young cab driver said, well, did that work? And he said, yes, once. Right. You know, And that's sort of the answer. <laughs> like, for guys are so pathetic that if it worked even once out of 4,000 times, they would consider that a reasonable, it doesn't even have to be like the lottery or something. Right. You, don't, you don't have to get a $50 payoff every so often. Let's grab a quick call from Brian in West Hartford. Hi, Brian. Hi, I just had a question. Um, I don't remember exactly what your disciplinary formations are on the panel, but um, I want to know if you had any opinions about beyond the cultural zeitgeist, if there's any sort of like anthropological history through ev- uh, evolutionary psychology as to why cat calls happen, because I don't think the Hail Mary thing is it. But when you were talking earlier, I didn't see the video, but about how there were other men around. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this is more about posturing for other men, because if I was one of those men around somebody who was an aggressive man who was intimidating and they were catcalling, I really wouldn't jump to anyone's defense, partly because I'm a coward maybe, but also because I might be afraid of, um, you know, reprisal from this more intimidating You need man. a club. Yeah. You need like well, a big studded club. Well, well, I'll give you a perfect example of there was a, a video that was out not much longer than this, uh, maybe two weeks ago. Of uh, where it was all set up, and there was a young woman who was being verbally assaulted by her boyfriend, and then ultimately was slapped. And hardly, uh, there's a few people who stepped up and got involved, but very few people did. And then when they reversed the roles so that it was the girl slapping the boyfriend, everybody stood around laughing about it. So <laughs> There are certainly gender norms and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. I do like in this. the idea that he's exploring the, the notion that there's some sort of Darwinian offspr- uh, 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 or origin to this kind of behavior. 
Yeah, and I think he's probably right. Or yeah. At least that, that you know the anthropological um, like and, do, and the, do uh, apes well, do, yeah, harass each it, other. It's funny <laughs> because there's this. Have, has anyone ever seen the documentary where um, Chaz Bono is making her transition? I yes. forget what it's called. Yes, yes. And there's a part where she said after she starts taking the hormones and says, "I wish women could feel this because." Now his sort of inner life is changing so much and he's starting to feel like all he's starting to understand what all those other men were doing all these years. Right. All the cat calling and all mm-hmm. this stuff where the testosterone is just taking over and he can't stop looking at women's butts as they walk by and stuff. And I think about that every once in a while, like, oh, you poor man, you just can't help yourself. You know, <laughs> like when something but like I that have happens. To say, I don't know any man who does this unless they really kind of keep it. Close to the vest. I mean, closet cat caller. Yeah, yeah. Colin I mean, does uh, it. I've seen him. Well, yeah. uh, Colin did. I mean, he did it with me. At yeah, whenever I'm in. Mean, yeah. yeah, I just. I'll quickly say. Just uh, we play. Actually, ought to move on to our next topic. But I do think that Brian is right that there's a male bonding behavior that's going mm-hmm. on here. Yeah. I probably told this story last time, but um, years ago I was covering the New York runway shows, uh, the fashion, run- the high fashion runway shows, and one of those runway shows happened to be, I think, somewhere around kind of West Midtown, uh, and and was the one. Fashion fashion house that I knew of that actually sort of had um, a, a bay window that kind of looked out onto the street or, or just sort of a, a storefront window that looked out onto the street. Most fashion houses, they do them in, in other places. But they had their runways right there, and the fashion models would walk along these runways, and one end of the runway actually went out towards this window. And I was there covering the fashion shows, and I suddenly looked outside, and all these construction workers on their lunch break had come over to watch this fashion show with these models who get paid you know, $85,000 an hour to have a really great bitch face. Uh, and and they couldn't hear the model. Nobody could hear what the guys were. I went outside. I left the fashion show and went outside and wrote down everything the guys were saying. And what they were saying was for each other's benefit. You know, it wasn't no, they couldn't be heard inside the fashion show. They would say, show. like, that's a spectacular collar. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I don't think that really works for me. What was she trying to say with those feathers? No, they were, but they were sort of talking for each other's benefit as opposed to— And that's to why it's like the kids in front of the bodega or the old guys playing domino. Although in the video there are, you know, men in passing by themselves who do right. still say something. Those are the guys you should be afraid of, I think. Yeah, uh, the, like know. the guy who follows. The guys who follow you. Yeah. All right, we do have to take a break. We'll come back with more after the proverbial this. We're back. This is the nose. Ah, no Kion Wolf today. Sorry about that. Not that she would be active here at this point. But she's harassing people, I bet. She's here with us in spirit. Her aura is here. Jim Chapdelaine is here. Matt Warshower is here. Teresa Kramer is here. They're the nose today. We've been talking uh, about catcalls, but let's go uh, to uh, an even deeper, darker form of self-entertainment, and that is Halloween. Now, we should admit, we should acknowledge that Matt Warshower in Connecticut is the king of Halloween. Um, and if you if you live in central Connecticut and you drive past North Main Street, I mean, I, I would have, I would respect your privacy, except that you apparently have, have none at this point. <laughs> if you drive down North Main Street in West Hartford, uh, you see Matt's house. And I don't, I'll let you describe that. I mean, year after year, it's something different, right? Well, I, I, I think it is something different every year. And the way that I like to describe it, it is the outer manifestation of my insanity. 
Uh, you know, I've just always been into Halloween, and as my kids have gotten bigger, the the display has gotten bigger. You know, we started with, you know, we live on a street that has literally ten to 12,000 cars a day go through the intersection. So we've always done something with Halloween, and people have always enjoyed it. And, you know, it's just grown over the years, and, and then, uh, you know, during the Bush years, uh, my frustration over Bush policies and politics made its way into politics. My wife pointed out, you remember, it's that guy that gets political. I said, oh, yeah, I do remember that. And, but, the, and the one year that I didn't go political last year, I didn't do anything political to start with, and people were walking by complaining that I hadn't done anything political. Right. But these are very, very big displays. And true to your, pursuant to your uh, trade as a historian, I think you did do it like a Civil War thing one year. I, I, did a like ci- I did a Civil War thing for the first year of the Civil War commemoration, a battle between uh, blue and gray skeleton soldiers. And then the next year, uh, I commemorated the anniversary of the, the Battle of Antietam, which is the still remains to this day the single bloodiest day in American history. And so this year, it's the fall of Rome with a... 14-foot-high Roman Colosseum that's 27 feet long. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but it's fun, you know? Some people play golf. So <laughs> here is a man. That's their insanity. That's yeah. right. Right. Here is a man who takes Halloween seriously. Now, in the town of Newington, uh, the school officials decided for, uh, I think, a, a, a thicket of different reasons, not just one, uh, but they decided that they, in their elementary schools, they had already pulled Halloween uh, out of a couple of their uh, elementary schools. No more parties, no more uh, parades and things like that. So they decided to do it with the other two. They sent out letters, and suddenly they were on the forefront of the national culture wars. Uh, one of the aggrieved parents, a Halloween activist, uh, was on Fox <laughs> News. Uh, was on Fox News uh, with Clayton Morris. Or maybe We may hear a little bit of that in just a second. Uh, on, on Fox Friends Weekend, talking about basically the threatening of American traditions. Meanwhile, school officials received threatening and or hateful phone calls and emails from national extremist groups. I'm not at the Halloween Liberation Front. I'm not sure who uh, over this decision to, as it, as it was being said, cancel Halloween, although I don't really know that that's quite true. But uh, And what they did instead was institute a harvest festival. And they said, we will have a harvest festival instead of Halloween. Um, Pagans. Uh, I'm already on record as to what I think about all this. It's, uh, uh, it's my recurring column this week. But... Teresa, when they said Harvest Festival, you kind of knew. I'm not going to say they were asking for it, but (laughs) there's something about that that, you know, might even get them ridiculed and say, I don't know, the cut. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, so I personally would love a Harvest Festival because that screams cider and uh, apple fritters and donuts to me. So I, I would love that. But, yeah, when, you know, when the... So I've since read all the things you sent me, Colin, and I now understand that this was not, you know, a uh, sort of religious thing. And it, but that's how it was painted at first, right? Like, of so, yeah. And I was confused because I was like, "Who celebrates Halloween as a religious holiday?" And I do understand that there are people who don't celebrate it at all for religious reasons, but that's completely different than it being someone else's religious holiday. Wiccans, Wiccans might celebrate it. A holiday. Do they? Oh, I don't know that. I don't fact, know. Are you Wiccan? Please call us up. But um, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the history of the holiday obviously was it was uh, a, a pagan festival called Samhain, or it had different names in different uh, pagan countries. It was essentially a harvest festival. But then, like a lot of other religious traditions and religious ideas, 
uh, I think the, the academic term for this is syncretism, it got picked up by the prevailing Christian majority, and they kind of fused it with a couple of days on their calendar, All Souls Day and All Saints Day. Uh, and, and so it, it sort of backs up uh, against those. And so it is both a pagan holiday and one that uh, in its early practice really did was meant and made to, to sort of dovetail with And Christian today, holidays. more importantly, it's a financial holiday. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's sort of my point is that for no one at this point is it actually a religious hol- holiday. Right. Some people do abstain from it because of their religious beliefs. But, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses also abstain from birthdays. B- birthdays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So which are not religious in any way. But um, the thing I sort of seized on was the idea that some that part of this was brought about by um, uh, <laughs> costumes that were apparently. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think we're now yeah. familiar with the slutty tween costume, right? Yes. That, mm-hmm. you know, that, that there are purveyors of these costumes. They mm-hmm. specialize in them and they can take a relatively in- innocent child icon like Miss Muffet mm-hmm. and sell you this sleazy slutty costume. Which or you're, sexy Ebola nurse. Sexy mm-hmm. Ebola nurse. Which uh, I understand at the high school level. I could see that being a problem at the high school level, but I was thinking, like, who's yeah, dressing up school. their, like, no. sixth grade, or their six-year-old this way? No, no, but it's really, it's tweens, right? It's tweens who really, because it's their opportunity Mm -hmm. to begin to exhibit sexual characteristics. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're the ones who actually do find that tempting and exciting to do. Mm -hmm. And then they have parents with no brains. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, you know, Matt, I just want to say, though, I mean, I was sort of trying to filter through all this. And and as I think Jim or somebody just alluded, it is kind of interesting because it's essentially not a religious holiday now. It's not uh, like Christmas in that sense. It's not a religious holiday. And yet, the pushback is essentially the same, right? The pushback is is sort of, well, there's a war on our traditions. And to me, this is a a majority culture, once again, kind of losing its grip a little bit. There's an increasingly pluralistic society uh, that, you know, that attends school and and people come to our public schools and they're from Vietnam and Laos and they're from Pakistan and they're they're from India and they're from, they're from Spanish-speaking countries and they're they're from all over the place and they don't have the exact same set of traditions that we have. And I do think there's a huge anxiety like, oh, do we still get to be the white majority the way we used to be? Yeah, I think there's an element of that. But, I mean, first, I'd just like to say to the town of Newington, um, Merry Halloween, Happy (laughs) Fall Harvest. harvest. Yeah, 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 that's it. Uh, You know, I don't don't see it as exactly parallel to the Christmas issue because for some people that is genuinely a religious holiday for some people. Halloween, I, I don't have that connotation to it at all. And I think a lot of the reaction to it is just, you know, can't we still have a little bit of fun? Mm-hmm. I mean, can't it just be, and that's the way I've always viewed Halloween myself, is that it's just a goofy, silly holiday where you get to dress up and and kind of act out your costume and be silly. And have your and house be on the front page of the Hartford yeah, Courier. Right, right? <laughs> and every other newspaper for right. miles around. Right? Well, and I, I just think it, you know, it's, it's a fun holiday where kids have a lot of fun. And we have a big party every year, and we have tons of kids that come, and they just have a blast. And so to just get together and have a good time and be silly, I don't think is a bad thing. And I think the people who are reacting are, are just, you know, because you, it, it's this... It's sort of the same mindset as the fear of lawsuit thing, Mm -hmm. where if two people complain about it, oh, my, we better not let anybody do it. And I just think that that's going too far. Although the thing I would say, I'm very, very 
old, and so is Jim Chapdoy. <laughs> very, he's exactly as very. I think Jim bad. might actually be dying right yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. I think he's Ebola. Ebola. He got the Ebola. But the um, and no, and that when I was growing up, I really looked forward to Halloween. Some of my friends really looked forward to Halloween because they were the kind of people who would throw a road flare on your roof, even if you that's had a whole different kind of Halloween. Yeah, that right. I don't hear uh, a lot of talk about, but right. I sort of miss that part of the Halloween. Well, but everybody looked forward to Halloween, which we did. You know, we would go out on Halloween in our costumes, and we would get uh, too much candy, and in some cases, some people would do things that really, you know, well, were actionable. Well, I haven't actionable. seen a pumpkin smashed in a, in. Right. Well, it's been a long time and, since and I've seen my one friends smashed. and I sometimes get drunk and, and pumpkin bowl. Right, and dog poop would be set on fire. Yeah. But I mean, just <laughs> just to sort of finish my point, what I don't remember is I can't wait to go to school in my Halloween costume. I think that's a relatively recent. I think that's thing. pretty new, right? I yeah. think you're right. Well, yeah. I think yeah. you're right. But I, I did think it as a as a kid. I remember, but it was only one grade. Not every kid got to wear their their costume to school it was like if you were a first grader or a kindergartner or something you could wear your costume and you'd be the parade and you'd go through all the other classrooms right. where the kids were dressed normal you go to like, like a Waldorf school or something yeah, right. I went to Glastonbury schools Colin they're I very think fancy yeah. no seriously I think where you get some of that where they start shifting some of it to the schools is in some ways similar to where they're bringing kids into town centers and shopping exactly. malls because it's a safety issue. Right, right. exactly. Because Some places you can't um, trick-or-treat. I wouldn't mm-hmm. trick-or-treat in Detroit. Right. Well, well it's, now when, we're getting into I that cranky we younger, old lady who doesn't want to uh, give pork That was when the guy put the uh, apple or the, the, the pin in the apple or whatever it <laughs> Which was. Which is also that? kind of chimerical, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, 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 um, the awareness of that phenomenon, the razor blade in the apple... It really is one of the early urban myths. It like far, far exceeds the the, the fact that it actually happened. But My yeah, mom used to check our candy when yeah. we came right. back. There used to be My a thing where you could bring your remember you could bring your candy to the hospital and have it X-rayed. X-rayed. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah, used I to be that. hospitals that made their yeah. X-ray machines available. This is why so healthcare costs yeah. are out of control. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say something else about care. that during the endorsements. But I do feel as though Halloween has mutated and changed over the years. And so yeah, I was in West Harvard Center on Saturday, and I would say there's roughly two thousand and kids, every single retailer and coffee shop and whatever was giving out candy. And then oh. I'm sure they all were walking over to Matt's house after that. And, and so, I mean, Halloween just, first of all, that was six days before Halloween. Halloween just goes on and on. It's no longer located. That happened on, to me on, only. Yeah. It was in the Whole Foods. Kids were trick-or-treating in Whole Foods as if they had anything good to give trick-or-treaters. They were handing out, like, <laughs> juice and pumpkin. Well, the great thing is Pure you can give them anything because yeah. you're still buying the cash register. Yeah. So you yeah. can give them, help yourself, just yeah. Everything. It was free range pumpkins, though. They have access to a lap pool. Um, All right, let's grab a call from Rob in New Haven. I want to leave a little time for wine, although I may be the only person interested in that story. Um, Anyway, here's Rob in New Haven. Hi, Rob, you're on the air. Hi there, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Um, So uh, I just wanted to call to say that um, quite a few people who I know, I think, would think of Halloween as as a religious, if not spiritual, kind of holiday. I think it's connected with with the um, harvest festival kind of idea, but it's kind of our typical in that sense. It's something that ha- that people have been celebrating at this time of year for millennia, probably. And and a lot of people I know actually think it, like we're having a party tonight that's Halloween slash Day of the Dead, and it's and it has a festive quality to it. But we're also going to have an altar where people are invited to bring like mass cards and things like that to put on the altar. Remember your family. Is there any human sacrifice? Yes, yeah, so that's what I wanted well, to know. No, I mean I know what he's talking about. I mean, first of all, the notion is at this time of year, the traditional notion is that 
the so-called veil is thin, right? King the, harvest has surely come. Yeah, the, the veil is thin. The veil right. between the world of the living and the dead thins out. That's part of the Christian tradition, too, with All Souls Day. There is that notion, in fact, that the, um, the, the pre-trick-or-treating custom was souling, where you'd go from house to house and you'd offer to, if you got a treat, if you got something, food, anything, uh, you know, a, a flagon of water, uh, you would offer to pray for the souls of the dead people who are from that house. That's sort of where all that kind of comes from. Um, let me just grab a, a call from Sue in Southbury. Hi, Sue. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Um, thanks for taking my call. And just to tell you that I'm a retired teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and after 25 years, I stopped having Halloween parties. Uh, I'm elementary school, so I was grade five. Mm-hmm. And um, the kids just got so wound up with the candy and the costuming that it certainly would ruin the day and many times the day after if it was during the week. And um, so I stopped celebrating it. It was kind of a gradual thing. At first, I just slowed down to um, having it with healthy food, much like they're asking for a harvest festival. Mm. Uh, But then I eventually even just stopped uh, having any sort of a celebration that day. Sue, why do you hate America? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm totally with you on this. I'm totally with you. It makes total sense to me. Anything else that, that we need to say about this? I just want to say yeah. that when I dropped off my fifth grader this morning in West Hartford, not only was the principal standing outside with a big blue mohawk and a guitar, mm-hmm. but three or four teachers were also dressed as rock band members, <laughs> and I thought it was fantastic. Those guys are actually in a band. You know that, right? <laughs> All right, so enjoy your Halloween, uh, no matter uh, how you uh, want to enjoy it. I have to read this email from, I think, Joanne. This goes back to our A segment topic. Um, This will make Teresa so happy. (laughs) I lived in Manhattan in the 1970s and had to deal with catcalls and nasty comments and potential attacks. Two things that helped. A, a woman produced a small business card to give to harassers that read, You have just insulted a woman. This card is chemically treated, and in 60 seconds, your penis will fall off. (laughs) (laughs) My prediction after dark was an Alka-Seltzer packet in my pocket. Put it in your mouth, and you will foam at the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Ebola emergency kit. I'm telling you to work. So that kind of combines Halloween. That is fabulous. I love and it. And anti-harassing. Mm-hmm. I don't know, do we have time for the wine thing? I can't believe this. Let's take a break and see how much time we have on the other side. We might even be able to talk about wine. I'm not even sure that they care, the panelists. I can't tell. Uh, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Bowls of candy and goodies, delicious and weighty. Sound of cute little footsteps as they approach my front door. Letting the children inside to drink beers. Razor blades hidden in three musketeers. Screams from the basement of kids begging to be set free. That's what Halloween means to me. Yet another way that I miss Kyone. I have to thank everybody now. Uh, So I want to thank Betsy Kaplan. She's producing the show today. And we've got an all-star in the control room. Lydia Brown, one of the big kids from where we live, has come over to help us with Kyone out. And I think John John Francois, our excellent intern, uh, is in there as well. Greg Hill tweets for us at WNPR. Colin, Katie Tolarski is uh, our executive producer. The part of Bill Curry today was played by anybody got anything? 
Nucky Thompson. Nucky Thompson. Uh, and so what else? And uh, to, obviously to, to find show pages, including the show page of this show, as well as many other things, and something mildly degrading or alarming having to do with the Faith Middleton, Middleton Show staff, go to our website, WNPR.org. Boy, it's so much harder when I have to do it instead of just write it and give it to her. Uh, and on Monday, we're, we're going to do the scramble. Uh, Nicholas Carr who's uh, kind of a, a digital declinist. He's got a new book out called The Glass Cage. Uh, it's about sort of the idea, well, it starts with a, a story about how the FAA put out a warning to pilots saying they were becoming over-dependent on autopilot. Uh, they were no longer flying their planes enough, and they were getting into trouble as a result and sometimes even crashing. And he thinks everybody's doing that, uh, that we're all over-dependent on algorithms and what our computers tell us and what our phones tell us. I asked Siri if that was true. She said, no, don't worry. Uh, but anyway, we'll be talking uh, to him about all of that. So I don't know, we could take, take two or three minutes on, on wine. So uh, this, was, this came from the dean of all news panelists, Irene Papoulos. She had it up on uh, her Facebook site. Uh, this column about, uh, Eric As- by Eric Asimov about how American popular culture depicts alcoholic beverages. Uh, in particular, the fact that there's been a shift away from other things, whiskeys and things like that, towards wine, particularly for women protagonists, that uh, Alicia on The Good Wife and Olivia uh, on Scandal, uh, they both profess to love wine, uh, they, but they also, as he says, drink to self-medicate, to inure themselves to the jagged emotional leaps in plot that buffet their characters and leave their uh, viewers breathless. Some of the commenters also pointed out other characters who uh, drink uh, red wine who are w- women uh, protagonists. Uh, one said, this goes back a few years, but, quote, a big old glass o- of Merlot was Chief Brenda Johnson's choice on the closer. So um, I'm always interested when a little trope like this turns up, uh, and I always wonder what it means. So Teresa Kramer, what does it mean that all these high-stress, heroic, but also problematic women are drinking wine on TV? It means that sexism is dead, Colin, because (laughs) now women get to be drunk on TV, too. I mean, they're drinking for mostly the same reason that the men on TV are drinking, right? Like, they're Don Draper drinks to medicate himself as well, and um, they're just drinking red wine instead. And but that rings totally true to me, right? Because all my friends drink wine, and they drink, and not all of them, but you know that's definitely so. When I choose to drink white wine, I feel as though they're judging me. You're so weak. I am because so weak. In but the funny thing is, is that. It, it seems like more of a class thing to me than a um, than a weakness thing. So, like, I just – I think a lot of people tend to associate white wine with, like, white Zinfandel. Although really on, on, Homeland, on Homeland, Carrie mm-hmm. Matheson's, Claire Danes's white mm-hmm. wine thing is clearly part of her overall weakness and her, her, her need right. to self-medicate and dull her senses and all that kind of stuff. Actually, we only have five minutes left. Does anybody have, like, one – other great wine insight, or can we go on to endorsements? I don't want to miss your endorsements. I, I think as long as you're not drinking white wine after Labor Day, you're fine. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and as long as you're not texting and drinking white wine mm-hmm. right. and driving. Uh, so drink wine, white wine responsibly. Uh, or if you're like murdering somebody on scandal, drink red wine responsibly. Or bourbon. All right. Time for endorsements. Uh, Jim Chapdelaine, what do you got? Um, I, I didn't get to see it 
Birdman, but I'm looking forward to it. So that's a pre-endorsement. A pre-endorsement. I do that from time to time. <laughs> uh, but I'm really excited because legendary band The Wild Weeds are getting back together. Really? For two <laughs> nights. And I'm a big fan. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, you have to be our age to be yeah. a big fan. When okay. I talked, when I'm putting this thing together with Big Al. Is that a challenge? And, yeah. uh, and uh, so we'll, we'll be playing two nights, but The Wild Weeds will also be playing. It's their first time playing in Connecticut in 46 years. Wow. And it's the all-original Wild Weed, so I'm very excited. That's December 26th and 27th. And uh, when no, I called no, the no security people... No Good to Cry, people, is that the name of the... the no Good to Cry no good to was cry. a huge single. I called the police. And I said, do we really need security here? I think the worst thing that's going to happen is a, a like a walker fight. Right. Um, but I think... You need uh, extra toilets, though, because guys have to pee a lot more than they used to. Well, I think there's going to be a ton of people. I think it's really going to be a great event. Al's very excited about it. We'll also play a set. With Al, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, this, that just, so where is this happening? Did you say that? Hill, part? I didn't. Hills Point <laughs> Hotel. I, I, I suck at this. Uh, I mean, I endorsed a movie I didn't see, yeah. so I Hills, truly suck. Okay, Hills Point Hotel, which is where? Uh, it's right over the Windsor Line in Windsor Locks. All right, uh, Teresa, what have you got? Um, a documentary on it's a Netflix documentary actually called E Team about the emergency team for the, uh, Human Rights Watch that goes into like Syria in the middle of a conflict to document human rights violations. It is not nearly as depressing as you'd think it would be. Like these people are fascinating and funny and cool and brave and. Everyone's having a baby for some reason in the middle of all this. It's really, it's neat. E-Team. And mm-hmm. it can be fun again. It's on HBO? It's on Netflix. Netflix. It's Netflix. All right. Mm-hmm. E-Team. All right. Matt Warshower, King of Halloween. What do you have? I have two things, or three things. First, happy Halloween to everyone. Mm-hmm. Except Newington. Except Newington. <laughs> uh, and as King of Halloween, I decree that they change their decision. Uh, the, the, the next thing is, if you are interested in the racial history of the United States, the Avon Free Public Library has just installed a fantastic Smithsonian traveling exhibit that is from emancipation to civil rights, the unfinished road. And it's Isn't that a ironic that it's in Avon. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know what? Avon Free Public Library, I've done a lot it's of a programming library, with yeah. them. They do some of the most amazing programming with the greatest staff of many organizations I've worked with. If you can get to the library with. without being pulled over, right. it's, that's yeah. a great yeah. No, it, it's, it just <laughs> coast <laughs> down the mountain. Just coast down the mountain. Uh, but it, it really is a, a great exhibit, and I'm actually uh, giving a, a talk tomorrow to open the exhibit. Um, but go do go and see that. And the, the next thing is that in December at the University of St. Joseph at the, the – uh, the Bruyette Athenaeum there, Hoffman Auditorium. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, Jim. Bobby Horton. Bobby Horton is a, is a folk singer. He does a lot of 19th century stuff. He's doing a holiday show. There's going to be a lot of Civil War reenactors there. He does a lot of neat 19th century stuff. So if you're interested in that, you can go to the University of St. Joseph website and check it out. Uh, very quickly, if I had more time, I would do this in gr- greater depth and with more eloquence. But uh, Boardwalk Empire did end its run last Sunday. If you haven't watched this and you have an opportunity to go back to the beginning, do it. I think it really might be one of the four or five great series in television history, particularly at the level of art direction, costume. I just have, I've never seen production values like this on television. The story itself is also amazing. The acting's incredible. It really is worth going through the whole thing. And very quickly, apropos of our discussion earlier today, uh, on the Bloomberg news site in the Bloomberg View section by Virginia Pustrell, the article How Candy Conquered Halloween. It's an interview with the author of the book Candy, A Century of Panic and Pleasure. It explains how Halloween became so much about candy. Vernon, I already said that one. Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah. 